Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. This is a story about a guy you know, and you've probably known him for a long time. He completely transformed an industry, changed American storytelling, and began his rise to fame 80 years ago in 1938. The fame he achieved was stratospheric. He was renowned for his strength, his speed, and his dorkiness. But for all his fame and all the love that was directed his way, he in some ways is a tragic character. And that's what he is, a character, not a real person. The real people who created him, two teenagers named Jerry and Joe, they knew they had done something brilliant. It's just that no one around them seemed to get it. No one understood that this character could be huge. Superman, of course, was a massive hit. And when someone finally did have an inkling of Superman's greatness, they snapped up the character for $130. For Jerry and Joe, their greatest achievement instantly became a great tragedy. Brad Ricca tells this story in the book Superboys, The Amazing Adventures of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, the creators of Superman. Brad, welcome. It's great to be here. Thanks. So we are in this moment uh, where it feels like comic book heroes are everywhere. Half the movies, it feels like, are based on, you know, Wonder Woman or Captain America or Black Panther. Um, But it was not of course, always like that. Um, Can you talk about what the comic book industry was like in the 1930s when Superman came on the scene? Yeah, that's a great question because it's so hard for us to imagine. I mean, even when I was growing up in the 80s, it was, you know, if I wanted to read my issue of X-Men, I'd have to hide it in my trapper keeper and not let anyone (laughs) see it because I was afraid someone would would beat me up. You know, nobody read comics. (laughs) And now everybody watches the movies and and has the shirts and and everything. But where it started in the the 30s and a a little bit before was, you know, in the newspapers. Everybody read the funnies in the Great Depression. It's really interesting. Here in in Cleveland, our paper is the Plain Dealer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, during the Depression, we'd report on all this bleak stuff. But then you'd get to the Sunday funnies and they were – like 12 pages of color comics because this was the escape for people. And they would read Popeye and Buck Rogers and uh, you name it. And and that's where it really got going. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, people got smart and said, well, if we could take the funnies and just fold them a little and staple them, we could sell them as comic books. Right, right. And that's how it started. So tell me a little bit about Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, who created Superman. And, you know, you think, oh, this is this most amazing creation. I mean, if if somebody created Superman, you'd be so impressed. But these were kids, and they were kids when they created Superman. I mean, this was like a side sort of after-school project almost. Yeah, and and I think that's always been one of the best parts of the story for me is that they were – kids. And they were best friends. And they went to uh, Glenville High School, which was a um, an eastern suburb of Cleveland, heavily Jewish suburb. And they were best friends kind of because they were nerds. You know, they both had glasses. They were small. They didn't play football. And Jerry Siegel, who would become the writer, loved science fiction mm. and loved reading all that kind of stuff. And um, Joe Schuster, who would become the artist, uh, you know, loved to draw. He loved the Sunday funnies. 
and would draw and and get whatever he could. You know, his parents couldn't afford art classes, so, so he would just trace things from the paper and, and from magazines. And they just really wanted it. And they didn't know what they were doing, and right. that was their greatest strength. Mm. You talked about that they're from Jewish families, and they actually lived in this, like, Jewish neighborhood of Cleveland, and people were... Uh, like older folks would be on the street corners speaking Yiddish to each other. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it was a very tight-knit neighborhood. But both of their families had come out of these really terrible anti-Semitic immigrant experiences. And I just wonder if you think that that immigrant experience, which uh, shaped their families, but then also kind of shaped this world that they lived in, too, if that informed their love of comic books, their creation of, of Superman. I think it completely did. And that was one of the great surprises I found in in looking into Superman's origins is that it wasn't just an an economic deal for these two kids to Mm -hmm. make money or or just create this really cool thing, is they were putting their lives into it. And to me, that just changes the whole story. And yeah, both of their families really narrowly escaped anti-Semitic mass violence mm-hmm. in Europe. And it's that's the story of Krypton. You know, Krypton's exploding yep, yep. Um, and being destroyed and they mm-hmm. just run away and they make it to this new world of America. And yet they're still aliens. You know, they speak this strange language and, and have yeah. all these strange <laughs> customs. Right. And, and Jerry and Joe are, are first generation Americans and they, they're part of that heritage, but they push back against it too. So there there's that whole thing about Clark, you know, coming to Earth and finding his place. But as you say, that you know, these were also, these were American kids, and they were very influenced by the world around them, by Hollywood, by characters that they were reading about. Talk about some of the people, but they don't have to be real people, who um, influenced uh, Siegel and Schuster as they're kind of, you know, incubating maybe these ideas for Superman. Yeah, incubating is a great word. I like to think of it kind of as Superman is the Frankenstein's monster of <laughs> 30s American pop culture. And some people don't like that because they think, oh, it's this great creation. It should live on its own. But I think it's great because that's what, what pop culture is. So they love the movies. There's a lot of Harold Lloyd in uh, Clark Kent, I think. Yeah, a silent uh, film star. I think he's largely forgotten now, but a great star, like a Charlie Chaplin kind of person, right? Yeah, and really funny, really clumsy, and he has the glasses, uh-huh. and he's always tripping over himself, mm-hmm. and, and they loved it. And he always has you know problems with the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. But the, there's you know the costume they took from strong men were really popular back then. You would pay a dime and go see these big Polish men lift things over their head, and, and they wore the underwear on oh, the outside, really? like, okay, like okay. Superman yeah, does, yeah. and the short capes. <laughs> and one of the coolest ones I found was, you know, they wanted to make Superman the fastest man in the world. And I found uh, an image of him that was a trace from a newspaper of Jesse Owens, uh, who was, yes. was in Cleveland and was the fastest man in the world. And, and of course, his story, and I think it's just so cool that they're basing Superman's super speed off off of Jesse Owens. But yeah, they took from from all over to create the even his hair. They stole from Tarzan. You know, we think of the classic spit curl on Superman. Mm-hmm. You know, where'd that come from? It's it's Johnny Weismuller. Hmm. 
So obviously, Siegel and Schuster, they created a lot of things. They uh, were writing in their high school newspapers. They were, you know, they they had an idea minute in terms of uh, really trying to be successful in writing comics. Was Superman just one more of the many things they created? Was this the thing they thought was going to be their blockbuster? Like, just give me a sense of where Superman fit in for them. Yeah, so you said it perfect. They worked on all kinds of different comics. They had crime comics and romance comics, humor comics, trying to figure out what would work. But there's a really early one in high school that's just a story that Joe illustrates, and it has a Superman in it. They call him the Superman, Hmm. uh, except he's bald and he's evil and he has totally different powers. Okay. And it's it's really a plagiarized story from the pulps because, you know, they're kids. They don't know what they're doing. They just are trying different, um, using all methods at their disposal. And the story didn't work. But they really liked the name. And I think Superman was the one character that they knew there was something more to. And once they realized they could make him a good character, they spent a lot of time on him, for Hmm. one. But also, the other part of it is is that when they started getting rejections for it, they sent it everywhere, uh, they really didn't change it. And I think that's a real kind of of Midwest thing, you know, don't tell me I'm wrong. (laughs) Um, But it's also an artist thing uh, that, that I really respect about it, that they knew it was good. And they weren't going to have anyone tell them otherwise. And that uh, Superman character that they were sending around and that kept getting rejected, that had like he had a similar outfit to, you know, like the Christopher Reeve Superman that we might think of from the movies. And like, as you said, the curl and the hair and the double identity. Did he have all that stuff? Yeah, he had it all. Okay. Double identity, Clark Kent. Okay. I mean, he couldn't fly yet, and he didn't have <laughs> heat vision and freeze breath. Okay. That would all come later, but it was absolutely Superman. And at what point was Lois Lane part of the story? Did he have this double job where he was a journalist, you know, this nerdy Clark Kent? Was that all from the beginning? Yes, and that's kind of the genius of the character and I think the elegance of the character and why we're talking about him 80 years later Mm -hmm. Uh, because there's almost nothing in pop culture that we talk about 80 years later. It's the Lois Lane aspect of it that he has – I mean it's really a love story. It's not an action story. It's you know how do you wrestle with your identity that you can't reveal um, to the person you love and Mm -hmm. I think that really struck a chord with – kids and teenagers who were trying to define who they were um, and just didn't know yet. Hmm. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller, and I'm talking with Brad Ricca, author of the book Superboys, The Amazing Adventures of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, the creators of Superman. Uh, So in 1938, right, Siegel and Schuster, they sold the rights to Superman, um, and they sold it for only $130. Why did they sell the rights for so little? Well, they'd been, I mean, that's like kind of the million dollar question again with these, uh, you know, the It's like the billion history. dollar question when it comes to Superman. <laughs> well, yeah, you're, you're right. They had been waiting for so long for someone to buy it. And mm. finally, a guy came along, uh, Harry Donenfeld was the publisher and, and contacted him through his group of people, his cabal. And they said, yeah, we'd, we'd love to buy this for our new action comics. We'll pay you uh, 10 bucks a page. It's 13 
uh, pages, 130 bucks. And, you know, there's a school of thought that they just wanted to finally sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that they were, you know, kind of being promised that if they sold it this way, they would eventually get a newspaper deal, which is what they really wanted, and that's where the money would be. But, of course, you know, as I think most people know by now, they in signing this contract, they also sign away all rights to the character forever. So this is the very Cleveland part of the story, the very, you know, well, we do all this hard work, but then somebody in New York steals it. Um, no offense, New Yorkers. But it's kind of the, the tragic part of it. Um, I think part of this story is an American tragedy that these kids work so hard and and they lose it at this point in the story. Of course, the story's not over, but the real question that it kind of hangs over this whole transaction is – did the publishers know they were getting uh, something big in Superman? And right. Of course, no one knows for sure until those documents surface uh, at some point out of a hidden bunker. Um, but to use the the popular words of today, I I really think that they were uh, bad actors in mm. all of this. That they they knew they were getting something big and took advantage of of Jerry and Joe. You talk about Superman being a star. A much bigger star than just a comic book hero. In some sense, he was like Mickey Mouse, right? He was had an origin, but he existed way beyond that through fan clubs and and all sorts of things, you know, radio and television and and movies. And why was Superman in that really small category? Oh, maybe along with Mickey Mouse, of just totally transcending where he came from. Yeah, I think the place I most hear it and see it is when people talk about Superman, is it's never the character, and we see this a lot now with the anniversary, it's never the character of Superman is 80 years old, it's Superman is 80 years old. Mm -hmm. Well, Superman's not a real person, but we talk about him like he is. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it is just how much we can identify with the character. I mean, I think Mickey Mouse is great. Don't get me wrong. Right. But I don't have a lot in common <laughs> with a mouse wearing the suspenders and he talks real high. Right. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I love Mickey Mouse. But I think Superman speaks to so many different things about just human experience. I think it, it, you know, the short version, I think he speaks to an American experience. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, this weird thing of we don't have history. I mean, we we know, hear these stories about George Washington and the apple tree, fictional or, or non-fictional, does it matter? Right. Right. But we also know the story of Superman's origin by the time we're eight right. and have no idea how we know this. Right, right. And it's just, again, it's that I think the real lowest common denominator that every other superhero has at least a bit of is the idea of the secret identity. That if only, and it doesn't matter who the other person is, it's just that feeling that if only they could see me for who I really am, everything would be different. No, I think that's really it. It really is that double feeling of like, in my heart, I know I can give this speech. I know I can impress this person. Yeah. I know I, I, I'm capable of all those things. But, yeah. like, somehow when I open my mouth, it yeah. just isn't <laughs> – like, the vision I have in my heart does not – that is yeah. not what materializes. And people make fun of me. And, and they're Superman. Like, he knows in his heart who he is. Yeah. But people just can't see it. 
And Superman tells you, you can't. Yeah. He's the one who says, I see that part of you. Mm -hmm. Um, Because he can do it. He, you know, opens up the shirt and there he is. Yeah. Um, But it's about that tension and that just I'm not sure if I'm good enough. I don't know if she or he um, or they will will see me for who Mm -hmm. I I really am that I think that makes it universal. Brad Ricca is the author of the book Superboys, The Amazing Adventures of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, the creators of Superman. Brad, thank you so much. This is great. Thank you. It was really good. On our website, we've got Brad Ricca talking about a huge problem that confronted Superman just after his comic book debut, World War II. The problem was, despite pleas from the public, Superman could not go to war because, of course, he'd immediately defeat the Axis powers, and that would lead to some serious cognitive dissonance. So the writers came up with a way to keep him out of combat. He does the eye test. And he gets it wrong. And they're like, sir, you're uh, 4F, you know, you, you can't serve in the Army. And he realized that he had his X-ray vision on, and he read the chart like six rooms down. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's just really stupid. Yeah. But then he says, well, I, I will serve here in America. The story of Superman and the war is at innovationhub.org. 